0: Seven or eight years ago, I was invited to be a part of a a conversation with a few other Presbyterian pastors to talk about leadership and and generational gaps in the church. So four experienced pastors who at the time were pastoring some of the more influential churches in our denomination. They invited uh, 15 younger pastors who were under the age of 40 to just come and have a conversation for a couple of days. The conversation started with the the older, more experienced pastors admitting that that we haven't always done a good job of raising up leaders in our denomination. And and then we kind of turned to two discussion prompts for the rest of our time together. First, the the experienced pastors, they shared some of what they wished they knew when they were younger, lessons that they could really only learn through the experience of, of leading a church. Either mistakes they made or, or challenges, challenges that they overcame and, and how it impacted their ministry and how it maybe impacted their personal life as well. Then the, the younger pastors were invited to, to share challenges that we thought that we faced today that the experienced pastors didn't really relate to uh, or didn't really face when they were our age. We were invited to be open and brutally honest at times with our stories there, there was no judgment. There was no, no second guessing. We just talked and listened. It was a life-giving couple of days and not because we, we solved any sort of concrete problem or came up with, with any solution or action plan of what to do next. The dialogue itself, the conversation was significant. One of the ways we can build bridges in today's disconnected world is by creating space for conversations to take place across generations. It's something that we can do both here inside the church as well as something we can do outside of the church. So Paul, he starts the 12th chapter of Romans by addressing how we use our different spiritual gifts within the church. It's where we read the the one body, many members metaphor that he uses in Ephesians and Corinthians as well. And then he turns to the actions the church in Rome can take to live out their call as followers of Christ. He he writes this, starting in Romans chapter 12, verse nine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul here, he invites the church in Rome to to show love, to practice hospitality and to resist revenge. All, All steps that we can take today to create space for all kinds of conversations including those conversations that build bridges across generations. Now, whenever I think about our our call as followers of Christ to show love, I can't help but think of the song that I sang every summer at family camp growing up. They will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our action. A a few years ago, after sharing a struggle I was having around finding balance between work life and and parenting, a, a friend recommended a, a, a TED talk to me. I don't even remember who it was that was, was giving the talk, but I, I, I do remember the story that the presenter told. This presenter, she was a, a TV producer and, and, and writer who was responsible for something like 70 hours of material for a particular season on a, on a particular network. She shared that, that when things were going well, when she was in a rhythm that, that she described as a hum, the place where her her passions and her gifts lined up with whatever she was doing every day, things just kind of hummed along. And she was in that place for a really long time, and then for whatever reason, she hit a wall. The the hum just wasn't there, and and for the longest time, she couldn't figure out why. She'd go to work, and and the creative juices just just wouldn't flow. She'd sit down to write and, and would stare at a blank screen for hours. Her kids, they, they would come and ask her to play and, and she pushed them away because she was so busy and she had so much to do, so many deadlines to make and, and she was behind. And one day she snapped. Her, her kids said, hey, come mom, come come and play with me. And instead of, instead of pushing them away, she pushed her computer away and she said, oh, all right, all right, I'll come. A, a couple of intentional hours with her kids and that, that hum returned. She just needed to say yes to them. When Paul asked the church in Rome to take action, to show their love, he's telling them to say yes. And he gives them kind of five words that describe how it looks to show love. First, he writes, love must be sincere. Now, the word for sincerity here, it also means without hypocrisy. So the New Living Translation Of the Bible, it translates verse 9 here as Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. It's not just about putting on a face or pretending to act a certain way. It's an earnest and an honest decision to love the other, even when it takes time, even when it's hard, even when it's not uh, something that just comes naturally. Paul builds off that idea when he says to, to be devoted to one another. Now, in Roman society, this this sort of devotion that Paul is talking about, it was reserved for a family, for a family relationship. So he's saying, you're going to disagree with one another. You're you're going to to be misunderstood. You're going to misunderstand uh, some other folks in the church. But that happens in families, too. And And we have to see our commitment to one another as something that is deeper than individual issues. And at the end of verse 12, Paul writes, be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Now, this combination, hope, endurance, or or patience and prayer, it's consistent throughout all of Romans. So in Romans chapter five, we read suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and, and character produces a hope that does not disappoint. Now, it's not secret that life is full of difficulties, that life is full of challenges. Paul, Peter, and James, they all write about their own challenges while guaranteeing that we will face them as well. And we can find joy and patience even in times like we're experiencing now and today by remaining faithful in prayer. So when we show love by by being sincere, devoted to one another, joyful, patient, and faithful in prayer. We act in a way that invites conversation. And we build bridges of all kinds and span all kinds of differences, including generational gaps. So Paul continues, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. A few years ago, the Fuller Youth Institute published research on, on churches that, that figured out how to successfully build relationships across generations, and, and they released their research in a book called Growing Young. So the researchers, say list 10 qualities that are often assumed to create success with reaching young people, specifically those who are, are age 15 to 29, but, but have no true bearing on creating environments where young people actually feel welcome. On on the other hand, their research found six core commitments that churches make to actively engage young people, to grow young as as a church. From empowering young people to empathizing with how they see and experience the world, to creating community around living out what Jesus taught. The, The six commitments That foster environments where where 15 to 29 year olds really felt welcome in these churches, they they could be summarized in one word authenticity. Are we really who we claim to be, or are we just putting on a show? Are we just putting up a front? It's what Paul is, is getting at when he encourages the Roman church to practice hospitality. He goes on to list different ways that we can practice hospitality. listen to this list of bridge-building practices in verses 13 through 16. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Don't be proud. Make friends with those who your society sees as a nobody. Now, as we look at at, at folks in our our church and folks in our, our neighborhood, all different ages and stages, are we practicing hospitality? A third step that Paul lists in in creating community is almost more of an inaction than an action. It's it's choosing to resist revenge. And of course, this goes well beyond building bridges across generations, but let's be honest, sometimes it's really hard to keep our mouths shut when we've been wronged and and we know that we are right. A, A few years ago, There was a a time where I was on a bike ride, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, uh, cruising along in in, in the bike lane in in my own kind of world, and and a van pulled up right behind me and just laid on the horn. And they laid on the horn for a good five to 10 seconds, and then they sped off. Something clicked in me. Something snapped. And I started pedaling harder and harder, somehow convinced that I was going to catch up to this van that had to be going 50 miles an hour just so I could, could catch up to them and give them a piece of my mind. I kept riding, kept spinning, and after a while, I, I cooled down and I just broke down laughing. What was I doing? What, what, what did getting all worked up really accomplish? What would I have said? Now, you, you might not have been in spandex on a bike spinning your, 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 your legs, but I'm guessing you've been in a similar place A place where you you can't help but wish ill will on someone for for one reason or another. Something that they've done to you or some way that they haven't performed or or whatever it might be. And yet Paul writes things like, don't repay evil for evil. (laughs) Live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. He doesn't deny that evil exists, nor does he deny that, that, that we will be wronged or offended. He's just saying that when we seek revenge, we keep this. Unhealthy cycle going. And if we're going to build bridges, we have to be more creative. We have to be willing to break that cycle. Now, as I said earlier, this sort of bridge building, showing love, practicing hospitality, resisting revenge, it's not just applicable to relationships with those who are in a generation that is different from our own. But what does it look like to, to show love, to practice hospitality? to resist revenge with someone who's older or younger than you. What would need to happen for WPC as a church to be intentional with building multi-generational community, building those bridges? And the psalm that we read earlier, the psalmist almost describes how a multi-generational church looks. At the very least, the psalmist describes what what one does together. It's a community that that praises or commends what God has done. It's one that, that shares with one another. It's a community that celebrates and sings together. It's a community that causes us to pause and meditate on our own in awe of what God is doing. May we be that type of church. May we actively build bridges from one generation to the next. Amen.